Welcome to Everything Went Black podcast. Before we get started, I just want to give some plugs. As always, the podcast is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee, which is my brand new coffee company. So if you're interested in coffee, um, sustainable produced coffee, that is, please check it out at savagegoldcoffee.com. Uh, we also just rolled out a new service called the Savage Gold Coffee Alliance where you can sign up and we send you coffee every month and you just get billed so that you don't have those uncomfortable Wednesday mornings where you wake up and you're really looking forward to that first cup of coffee only to find out that you don't have any. Never be without coffee. Stay gold. <laughs> Savage Gold Coffee. That was real professional, wasn't it? That was excellent. <laughs> uh, moving on down the line, we have uh, Datsu Sara uh, who... If you're into uh, just having a cool hemp bag or if you train some sort of martial art or CrossFit or you just need something to carry your uh, computer around and check out the uh, the Dazasara bags. They come in a variety of different sizes. I own two products now, the uh, the Battle Pack, which I use to haul all my equipment around and also I bring out on the road with me. And I also own the uh, the Joe Rogan Fanny Pack, which is um, has come in handy on, on the tour setting as well. Uh, we have a relatively new associate in NatureBox, which uh, basically you sign up for um, a variety of different healthy snacks, and then a box shows up every month, and you have you know whatever size box you ordered based on how much you consume, and also if you're gluten free, you know sugar reduced, vegan, you know whatever whatever your trip is. They can customize it to fit your, your your dietary needs. So it's a pretty interesting service. Uh, I'm a subscriber, obviously. And um, my one gripe is they don't send you enough. I go through those bags like nobody's business. And then last but not least, we have Onnit, which uh, I'm a you know a very avid user of all their products. I have a you saw that kettlebell outside there. I got an Onnit kettlebell. Um, my Onnit jump rope. A variety of different supplements. Uh, you know, you name it, they have a bunch of stuff if you're into, uh, you know, healthy living and, uh, you know, moving forward with everything. So check it out. They can all reach that stuff at um, the, the uh, Everything Went Black uh, website. Just look to the left. There's a bunch of different portals. And uh, once again, you know, we got a Facebook page. You know, hit, hit us with a couple of likes. If you're uh, listening to this through iTunes, um, you know, write a review or, you know, whatever. Give me like one star, two stars, whatever. Um, and there you have it. And um, this time around, I have uh, a, one of my return uh, guests and good friends, uh, Josh Bear, comic book artist, teacher, all-around uh, cool guy. And here we go. All right, cool. So, Josh, it seems like you've been real busy these days. Yeah, yeah, real busy. Uh, I got, like, multiple projects going on. Um, I did a book called... Uh, I just call it Seth, but it's pronounced like Theth, like that I've printed over the summer uh, with retrofit books. Uh, and I did uh, Suspect Device 4 this year um, in a bunch of anthologies that should, you know, there should be, uh, could be directed against, towards your audience. I'm in an anthology that's a tribute to Celtic Frost coming up. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be really good. And from what I understand, there's a lot of metal, people from metal, and metal who were involved with it, who, like, gave it, like, the seal of approval. Oh, cool. Uh, then I, oh, and I was, I'm in Henry and Glenn Forever and Ever. The big trade just came out. It's, like, 256 pages. 
And I have like 20 pages in that. And yeah, you, I read, you sent me a bunch of different stuff uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that was one of them was the, you know, the, the issue that you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember, I remember like you come to the comic book store when that first came out. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't into it. I still not into it. But I do like, uh, what I what I really enjoyed out of the books that you gave me, let's, let's just real quick before we yeah. move on, let's just give a, a rundown of the stuff you, you turned me on to. We got Raw Power. Mm-hmm. We got theft, mm-hmm. which we were talking about. Yeah. Um, we have a uh, suspect device. We got this cool, like... Uh, oh, the Marvel Comics. Yeah, Mar- that's that's the one I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Marvel Comics. I Am War Comics. Oh, and uh, Birth of Four. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to read that one yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you gave me a whole bunch of stuff, man. And, of course, there's the Henry and Glenn. And... Uh, one of the questions I have about Marvel Comics is, like, do you guys ever run the risk of getting sued? <laughs> you know, I just figure, not so far, and, you know, we've been underneath the radar enough so far. I mean, that book, we ran off, I'd be surprised if we ran off 600 copies of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those guys, those guys, Pat Alicio, who's, like, one of my best collaborators, uh, and Keenan Keller, who's uh, who's also one of my favorite collaborators. Uh, Pat it was Pat's brainchild, and he was just like, let's just let's just take the name Marvel Comics presents number six. <laughs> I think the cover is based on number six, like the cover layout. And he was just like, let's just if we're gonna take from them, let's really do it. Let's really just take the name. Since I did that book, um, and I've started to try to adhere more to parody um restrict you know parody laws or whatever okay and the advice of a a a, a publisher i might be working with in 2015 and he was like just look at what mad magazine does because if you don't plagiarize if you don't because i do also do a lot of like that issue of rom you have is me just basically doing an issue of rom note for note changing all of the staging and a lot of the dialogue but not all of it and i use the name rom and all that shit but it's the you know that's like a that's actually like an exercise in copying and that's partially something i do just to um you know just to uh ease myself into a project okay so i'm like you know i always grew up hearing about people who would do art that was like a cover like i'm copying a old book cover but i'm making it into an oil painting or i'm doing i'm remaking hitchcock psycho but i'm you know in art school we learned that whenever you recreate something there's always going to be differences it's always going to be a fictionalized version of what you're doing um and uh, I took that as kind of like encouragement to go off and do my own copy books. Not that Marvel Comics, we'll come back to Marvel Comics Presents, but ROM was like a, you know, me, me taking an old script that was around when I was a kid and just as an exercise, just until I think of the next thing that I want to do, I've always wanted to redraw that comic in my own way. So I redraw it and then with that book, all these ideas started to percolate up. And I started to think about myself when I was, what I was doing in 1982 when it came out, it came out. And then these autobiographical stories or semi-autobiographical stories about this stand-in character called Seth started to come out. So I guess it's a little bit like what I was saying before, like, you know, fucking get involved. Like if you fucking see something that looks fun, fucking play with it. So I'm playing with these old Marvel comics and yeah, I, I would be devastated if ever anything if ever anything happened where they got upset and they fucking sued me 
or maybe I laugh at it. I don't fucking know. But the Marvel Comics Presents book, yeah, we just took the title Marvel Comics Presents. Whenever I did, you know, character character U.S. Agent uh-huh. or Howard the Duck, I just call them by their name. And now that I'm doing that, now with what I'm doing is I'm doing a comic now where I'm copying an old issue, Marvel com- uh, Marvel 2-in-1, okay, the old yeah. Thing comic, yep. and I just changed everybody's name. The Thing has a new name. He's called Mr. Incompleto. I took the basic plot, and then I changed all the dialogue, and then I ended up changing the ending. So I don't know where... I mean, Mad Magazine uses plots, yes, but they, for comic effect, and they change everybody's name and change all the dialogue and the jokes. So it's like an unfunny satire is what I'm doing now. Interesting. Yeah. So what that um rom, rom is like a big theme because last time one of the one of the times you know we were one of this big, you know, exploration about Rom Space Knight, the old Marvel character, and for anyone who hadn't heard that that episode, uh, Rom was a comic book that existed in the early '80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seventy nine till eighty seven, and uh, I think. Yeah, it was like, and and it was like a couple. Of, it only had a, a relatively short run. I think like fifty issues or something like that. Maybe Se- seventy five. Seventy five. Yeah. yeah. And um, but that that somehow was like, you know, that's when you talked about Rom, I had almost all but forgotten about that character. Yeah. And uh, and it's a it's an important character to you though. Yeah, well, he was just, it was kind of, I, I relate to Bill Mantlow a lot. Mm-hmm. Rom, to me, kind of signifies this guy off sort of being an unrecognized um, unrecognized genius, which is Bill Mantlow. He's off there doing a book nobody's paying attention to because there's not a lot of, not a lot riding on it. It wasn't like a flagship character. Yeah. It's kind but, of obscure. Even at the time, it was obscure. Yeah. I don't really know any of my friends at the time who even read that book except for me. I... I think that it might have been, I mean, it's very wordy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I look at it when I was a kid and I just flip through it and I didn't love it as a kid. I'd just be like, this is fuck, this is stale. And now you read it and I find the words really electrifying. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned it the last, anyways, yeah, I find the word, I find it to be really well written, have a lot going on. And the, my friend, like, put this image up on the line the other day of, like, somebody asking Rom if he eats. And he's, like, <laughs> bitterly, like, I did once when I was human 200 years ago. It's like he, th- this depiction of this guy trapped in the suit yeah. is really poignant. Yeah. You know? And then it's weird how, well, you can you can read in anything, I guess. But well, it's, it's, it parallels a lot of how Bill Mantlow ended up li- live, being forced to live in such a diminished state. I um when I was a kid I was always kind of creeped out by the comic book. I mean that that was primarily why I read it because like the, the the suit's creepy, mm-hmm. you know the concept behind who he is is kind of creepy, and also just the artwork is creepy because it's not you know the typical like ultra realist like supra realistic comic book art. You know it's like more in line with like Steve Ditko or something where it's like very you know sketchy and sort of uh, you know a lot of lines. We had a little bit of a technical problem here. Sorry about the glitch. But uh, I want to talk about the concept behind Marvel Comics Presents. Because um, you said it was, you know, it's like, once again, it's a uh, sort of collaborative, uh, you know, thing. Did you sure, you sure didn't want to keep on talking about ROM? I'm always up for it. We talk, we covered ROM a lot. If right. anyone's really interested in, talk, in our discussion of ROM Space Night, check <laughs> out some of the, uh, one of the older episodes. Uh, not not the last one. The last one that you were on was yeah. on Black Flag uh, Classic Records. Right. 
So it was the one before that. I'll leave it up to you guys to figure out which one it is out of the uh, 50 some odd episodes that we got up so far. Cool. So, uh, so what, uh, you know, what's, what was the sort of impetus behind that? So the Marvel comics presents book was, yeah, you know, I got, there's other creators. Um, Phil is from, I'm sorry, Pat is from Philadelphia. Keenan is from, um, is from Los Angeles and, you know, we all have a kinship between us and we decided to plot doing this book together where we'd all do a chapter and it was like that old weekly comic that Marvel used to do, which is like weird elephant's graveyard for, old creator creators and sort of like an opening you know sort of like a a trying ground or whatever for yeah. new creators like for example i remember seeing ron wilson like in the pages of Mar an old issue of marvel comics presents after if you remember him he used to do the art on marvel two in one and he just he did the early issues of the thing and then he just disappeared he went from being almost like an a-lister or sort of like a workhorse like dependable dude and then he was just discarded by Marvel, and then all of a sudden, I saw he was doing this thing that he was forced to write because he couldn't get a writer to hook up with him, and that was the last thing I ever saw him publish. So I, I don't mean to cast him in tragic terms. I'd love to work with him actually if he's out there somewhere. But he, uh, uh, yeah, so that's what Marvel Comics was, and again, you know, it's kind of like these um, these loser comics that we all kind of rallying around. You know, Rom's a loser character. Marvel Comics presents as a loser character. I mean, in the best kind of like in the best sense of the word. And uh, so they, Pat had the idea of like, let's just fucking do our own version, do whatever, just go wild with these characters, reclaim them. And uh, so I had this. What's great about those guys is, I you know, if you say hey, you can do whatever you want, you can easily get cold feet sure. and I just started writing them an email and I think I was literally saying I don't know what I'm going to do maybe I'll do a comic where and then I was like body blah 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 you know these characters are all getting they're all out together and they start having premonitions of the terrible fate that befell all of the people who were most closely associated with them so you got Steve Gerber who died relatively young you got um uh, Mark Grunewald, who invented U.S. Agent, who died young, you got, uh, goes down the list, you yeah. know, everybody who I list in that book is somebody, um, Bill Mantlo, cause Rom's in it, and then Plastic Man comes from D.C. because his creator is Joe, um, Jack Cole, excuse me, who, uh, killed himself, like, kind of mysteriously, and, uh, so he's almost like the, you know, he's almost like the grand champion of these, uh, tragic creators and so it was a chance to talk about them and I was writing it in an email to these guys I'm like what am I going to do if I can have all these guys partying while they talk about all their creators died miserably or or had the went on to a down spiral after they had you know after they were uh, had their peak you know had their peak and Keenan was like you got to do that <laughs> it's a fucking great idea so that's another way that this community really in gen it, it really it's it's funny when I was in school in art school, you kind of wonder where good work comes from, and so much of it comes from having a community yeah. and kind of improving off people. You sure. know, just like you know, music and being involved in some kind of like you know local punk scene or something. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you'll be like figuring out something like in a practice space, and, and part of you must be like, "Fuck school," you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you get them from the people around you. So that's that's how that issue came about. And then I had a chance to do full color, which is a huge honor. And uh, that the one funny thing about that book is I mentioned that, uh, oh, the other artist I mentioned is Bill Everett, who invented Submariner, 
and Living Zombie, I think, is the one to mention in this book. And he was a great, great anchor mm-hmm. and pretty good idea man too. He, you know, he um, back in the forties, he's a big innovator. He did beautiful comics in the forties, and he died pretty young. And I say in the comic that he just basically drank himself into the grave, partially due to the stresses of this of this lifestyle of working of being doing kind of this unforgiving work for Marvel Comics that you're not appreciated for. And my friend, uh, Jason T. Miles, from, uh, he's, um, he wrote me and he said, you know, you said that uh, Bill Everett died a wet death. And he goes, he actually was sober when he died and was like a big helper of other people in AA. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was a big, serious. I go, well, I go, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. And he goes, yeah, it's true. And it's kind of serious. So in later editions of the book I put a note and I thank Jason for alerting to me that so I kept the same art I say had the same image of the guy drinking himself to death but I said that actually he didn't just he actually got free and clean of his disease you might say before he died and that was interesting too yeah, that's that interesting Jason's a great guy you know it's what I think is interesting is how you know you, you know, like you I'm a life lifelong you know comic book fan and you the, the the story that these creators have, man, and like sort of the darkness in these guys' lives, man, you know, and it's just, you know, you take it for granted, um, especially nowadays, like with all these huge, you know, Marvel comics, like movies, you know, and, and people don't see be up like below that, you know, into what the lives of some of these creators is like unsung, you know, people like back in the 60s and 70s, you know when it really wasn't taken as seriously as it is now and there was no money like there is now. I mean, I, I still don't think there's money in, in creating comics. Yeah. Except for, like, the corporations, really. You know, like like Marvel and DC making these movie properties. You know, but, um, yeah, it's just really interesting. I mean, there's... It, it, someone should write books about these guys. Like, there should be some kind of, like, you know, document of these you know these lives these people have led. You know? did, you, did you see uh, Sean Howe's book, uh, Marvel, The Untold Story? No. Uh, you you wouldn't be able to put it down. It's really, really good. Okay, yeah, I'll look into that then. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I read uh, Theth, and that that was probably the favorite out of all the ones. Thanks. What you what you? Yeah, I mean, the the story was like compelling, and it also has like this like very it's a very personal sort of thing. And uh, and once again, the the character resembles Rom, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He has this sort of discount like Rom Space Knight, you know, uniform basically. Yeah. You know, so wh- where's that? What's the story with that? So, as I was working on these, I was thinking about my childhood, and I was thinking about all these weird things that happened, and just, just you know, writing them down, and the ones that really stuck with me, I wanted to build this little narrative about around. So there were things that are totally autobiographical in that story, and I decided, oh yeah, yeah, that happened in the early '80s, around the time that these rom comics were coming out, but I couldn't bring myself to. I wanted to have the Seth story wrapped around an old issue of Rom and it takes place in 19 December, 1980 when John Lennon John was killed. Lennon, yeah. So I was going to do this issue, issue number five or six of Rom because that's what was coming out in 19 December, 1980 That's cover date in November, 1980. So I wanted to do a story, a backstory about the kid who would be reading this rom comic, and that's how it started. I was going to do like another one of my co- like you know just like a, a garage band doing a cover song. I wanted to do a cover song of rom, and then I was like, I'm going to back up and show the kid who is reading these comics. And so I uh, uh, started just started like going with it, 
and I came up with this whole narrative and it's, you know, it's got, it's definitely, it definitely, um, goes off in its own direction, has a lot of fictional elements too, but it's based on the feeling of my childhood. Uh, the most interesting part about people's reaction to it is, uh, the teacher that's in there. Yeah. Like that's really based on a teacher I had. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, this guy, we had this teacher and I remember he basically told us that in his class, he was getting rid of the traditional grading system and he was going to, going to give a, was only going to allow us to have A's, B's. And I think then things dropped down to D minus and F. And he was like, there's no room for the middle ground, which sounds fucking awesome. Like when I say it out loud, but he was the type of guy who, I mean, I had, I had completely resented him and I thought that, he seemed like the type of dude who didn't really look at what was in front of him. Like, he didn't really tell us that in a compassionate way. Yeah. yeah. You know, and when I tell, but as I was writing it, I think I related to him more and more. There isn't any room for, you know, the middle, the middle ground in life. So as I'm writing it, I'm like, fuck, the ideal of what he's saying is fucking great. Like, you should reach, you should reach for excellence. You shouldn't let yourself being the surgeon who leaves two sponges behind in the, only leaves one sponge behind in the patient, so therefore they did an acceptable job. Because <laughs> you still kill the patient, and then it's not acceptable. So he was like, success is life or death. But he wasn't like an intense, compassionate dude in real life. And he came off really as an ambivalent cre creation. So I've heard some people say, oh, that guy, that teacher character, he was such a weirdo. And other people who are like, oh, that was a really great, caring, the only person who cared in Seth's world, you know? So that's kind of appropriate because I just really let, I just let it go where, where it was going. Yeah. I didn't take, even as I realized that he wasn't coming off like a monster, uh, I didn't take pains to try to pull it back and make him more despicable. Or I did, but it, I, for, it's not there for everybody to... It's not there in a way that, you know, hits everybody. Do you relate more to the writing or the art? Like, what's... Because, uh, you know, you're, you're the writer and artist. So, like, what, what, what is the... Uh, you know, how do those two things relate in your creative process? I mean, h half and half. I took... Uh, I took writing classes at uh, UCLA before I moved to New York, like in the early 2000s. And at the time, I didn't know how to do comics. So it was kind of it was kind of cool to have this break where I was a painter and I didn't know how to do comics. And then I was I just spent a couple years getting short fiction writing out of the way. And then when I, you know, I felt semi-prepared, I felt like that was my boot camp. And then I, when I went into comics, uh, I felt, uh, I guess, um, confident. Some of those classes, it was just having, uh, seeing a teacher or a class nod and get what you were doing. Or even seeing that, seeing people do it wrong, so right. you knew how to avoid mistakes that makes your shit mediocre. So I felt okay about my writing which is good because at SVA it's a great art school but they don't stress the writing very much there or at least they didn't when I was there um, so at this point luckily I'm in a position where I got I went I did it in pieces I got my write, the writing side of things kind of strengthened by going to UCLA UCLA night classes and then I spent the next six years going to uh, SVA undergrad and grad school and um, that background was really something I fell back on. 
But when I was a kid, I saw Charles M. Schultz on TV, and he said, being a cartoonist is great for me because I'm half a writer and half an artist and not great at either one, but right. I form like a, it forms a whole. It's oh, interesting. Yeah, because like that, especially in theft, I feel like that is uh, holds together the best out of all the material that I read. You know, the books that you, you gave me. I mean that, and also, I mean, I enjoyed your 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 story in the you know Henry and Glenn you mm -hmm. know, comic. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, just to change subject real quickly. So you told me something very interesting uh, before we started. Yeah, that you just recently now started appreciating Slayer. Yeah, yeah. You know. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. Yeah, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed, it. man, because I, I like didn't get them like years ago. I always wanted to, and I'd get all hyped up to hear them. I'd hear how Rollins, who was a big hero of mine, he was like even in his 40s, he was like, I drive around in my BMW, fucking blasting Slayer, and I'm like, I gotta be able to get this band. I gotta be able to feel this. And yeah, just recently, I don't know. I guess I've been, um, I, I kind of. Uh, you know, sort it all through all the rest of my music. The thing that hits me about them is their sincerity. Yeah. And the fact that they sound like nobody else. Oh, yeah, especially at that time. I mean, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, that was an interesting time in, like, metal music in the in the 80s, like that whole thrash, you know, trip, where, um, you know, really, to me, it comes down to just Metallica and Slayer, really, you know, and they're, they're the only bands, really, that, that stand out amongst... I mean, there's a lot of those bands I like, like Exodus, you know, Testament... You know, um, you know, uh, Sacred Reich. Like some of those earlier, early records are good, but as far as like bands that are, um, you know, truly like unique, like mm. Slayer and Metallica, really are it. You know, out of the thrash, like eighties, like thrash, like like real early eighties Bay Area thrash bands. You know, and um, you know the early early records by Slayer. You know, like Hell Awaits and like Haunting the Chapel. They have like a like a heavy metal, like new wave of British heavy metal, like, you know, diamond head kind of vibe to yeah. it. Yeah. And then, but when Rain and Blood came out, and I think that's the one we were talking about, like it was just like they got injected with speed or something or like ster speed and steroids and then turned into this like juggernaut, you know, and then it was just like someone said, okay, go. And they just went and then boom, they had this whole other thing going on. So you're saying that's kind of like where you started checking in more. It was like, with the rain of blood, yeah, the abyss, the, yeah, 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 south of heaven, south of heaven. Yeah. When did that one come out? That was right around that, you know, yeah. mid eighties, like late, you know, moving into like eighty seven, eighty six in that area, you know. Let, let me ask you something. What I was talking about this with my friend Sabin when we were going to SPX a couple weeks ago. We were talking about metal, and I was like, "What was going on in America in between nineteen seventy and nineteen eighty with metal?" Um, in the United States, like that was more like the hard rock world. You know what I mean? Like Black Sabbath and Zeppelin from England. Were, were exactly. Yeah. Diamond Head was happening. Yep. You know, New Wave of British heavy metal was going on. Um, you know, ACDC from Australia. Right. Right. Know, so Def Leppard. You know, UK. What was going on with America? Uh, the only the only band that come like, is Mountain Mountain. Okay. You know, hard rock. Yeah. Like, it was I, I when I think of the seventies, and I'm sure there's some guys going to come out of the woodwork and be like, "Well, what about like this?" You know, as they should. You but know, for me, it's like <laughs> I, I think in the in the seventies, it was more about England and Europe. You know, like the Scorpions and like Accept and those types of bands. Judas Priest. Well, you had you had punk. You had like like 
Americans, like doing, you had the MC5, you had Alice yeah. Cooper, yeah. shit that was like, you know, way ahead. The way the conversation came about was we were talking, me and my, me and my friend are really big fans of Wendy o. Williams. Right. And we were like, well, what female vocalist, what was the precedent? For, yeah, no one like Iggy Pop was probably who she was inspired by. People are gonna say Kiss, but fuck Kiss, dude. Like I never liked Kiss. Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to get you into know, them. People are yeah. like, oh, the 70s, the Kiss, the heavy. You know. Every time I come to the show, we end up high fiving about how we both fucking yeah, hate Kiss. I, I fucking despise Kiss. I only I like Ace Freely, but I don't like Kiss. I think Ace Freely's cool. The new Freely, the new Ace Freely album is yeah. fucking awesome. Really, Space Invaders. Okay, it's great. Freely's Comet, awesome. But the rest of Kiss can, like, suck my dick. I don't give a fuck about Kiss. But anyway, yeah, I digress, you know. That's fucking weird, though. That's a long period yeah. for their, for things to flatline. For Why wouldn't Americans be? Like you said, it was more about rock. So, yeah. okay, so. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm running through my yeah, head. Like, yeah. like, Rush was Canadian. April Wine was Canadian. I listened to a lot of audiobooks recently, uh, lately, and I really... There's a book, there's like five books on the history of metal right. that I want to read, but none of them are on Audible so far. And that's the only time I have. What books do you remember the titles? There's, there's one called Bang Your Head. Okay. And even the books about hair metal, I know they're going to talk about the roots of metal at the same time, yeah. like good metal. So, uh, yeah, so I want to read them. And um, right now, I don't know how I'm going to get, I don't have any time to read except yeah. to listen to audiobooks lately. Yeah. And even that is kind of like a, bit, a little bit too all consuming. Especially when you're talking about, like, when I'm doing artwork, mm -hmm. like, I should just be able to listen to some fucking dumb book and read. I mean, draw, if I'm just drawing. Yeah. But I don't feel like myself. I'm so involved in somebody else's story. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to do, because I know the same thing with me, because I'm a big podcast listener, you know, and um, a lot of times when I try to write, you know, like, with, you know, writing, just straight up writing. Yeah. When I have a podcast on, I, I can't. I have to listen to music or something that... <laughs> That sort of connects with my subconscious. Yeah. That doesn't require my attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because oh, you, you, you can only, for me, maybe it's because I'm like an idiot or whatever, but I can only do one thing at a time like that. I can only put my attention on my writing or concentrate on the podcast. You know, if I'm like listening to music that's sort of, you know, stimulating some other part of my brain that I don't have to pay attention to the words, that's cool. Like, yeah, I can me too. To like, you know, music, as long as it's not too intrusive, really. You know, um, yeah, the states, man. Like, because um, even thrash, like we were talking about Slayer and all those bands, that influence really is a lot of it's like European, like shit, influencing those bands. <laughs> like New Wave of British Heavy Metal was a huge influence on thrash metal. You know, well, Tigers of Pantang, Diamond Head. You know, all those bands, I think, had more to do with like thrash. You know, and Iron Maiden and all that kind of stuff than any any American because there's no you know, blues rock like thing. It's kind of interesting how Zeppelin and Sabbath were influenced by the blues, you know? So it was like an American influence going to Europe. And then like hmm. in the eighties, it was like a European influence coming back to the United States and extreme music. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just thought I found that, to, I find it to be interesting. You know? It's, it's surprising to me because bands like Alice Cooper and MC five and Iggy and who else can you mention that not metal, but punk or, you know, whatever. I feel like there's, you know, they were all like, we're so fucking sick of the 70s culture. Yeah. And here's an, here's an antidote to it. You know, here's an antidote to all the, you know, the hippie stuff. And then for things to, I get that that was coming out in American punk, but yeah, the, it's weird that it wasn't coming out in American metal for such a big period. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I said, I'm drawing a blank in any, any 
notable hard rock bands, except for Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to say Kiss, and I have to mention them just because they're you know the, the commercial juggernaut that they were. But uh, and also the, yeah, all the bands, Van Halen, Van Halen, Van Halen Ru- Runaways, Runaways, oh, yeah. How could I forget Van Halen? Van Halen was probably uh, the, yeah, yeah. the great white American hope. You know what I mean? Like they uh-huh. were like representing in the late seventies, but they, I still think of them more as like an early eighties band, even though they started in the seventies. Yeah. You know? Who they, who they used to play with, who they fucking complain about. Well, kiss took all those bands on tour with them. Okay. Like all like black Sabbath, you know, uh, rush. If you there's a documentary on Netflix about rush. Um, and rush toured with kiss of several times and apparently became really good friends with those guys. Oh yeah. Which I find like, very very interesting, you know. Um, you know, Van Halen toured with uh, with Kiss. Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent was huge. He's another yeah, American guy. Yeah, yeah, there you, know? you go. Yeah, the Nuge. Yeah, you should count him as metal for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Then you got uh, metal. Aerosmith. What was the? So now what, it's coming to me. Aerosmith. Aerosmith Hard and rock. What do you got? What's his name? Um, Hagar's first band, Montrose. Montrose. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, now some names are starting to come to mind. But they weren't real, like with the exception of Aerosmith and the Nuge, maybe and Van Halen. Yeah. Like a lot of those bands were were not at the same stature as like you know your, your Led Zeppelins or your, your Black Sabbaths at the time. Well, no, but neither was Diamond Head or or Budgie. You know. No. Yeah. No, they. My my one thing about New Wave of British heavy metal because I don't know if you remember like a few years ago. Everyone was all about New Wave of British Heavy Metal and, like, getting into, like, oh, yeah, you know, this obscure. And I'm like, like most styles of music, there's a reason why a lot of those bands are obscure. You know, I can probably count on one hand the bands that I think are relevant, really. You know, even though there's, like, lists and lists and lists of all these New Wave of British Heavy Metal bands. But it's like, yeah, none of those bands were commercially popular because... I would say a good 70-80% of those bands weren't very good but then there was like the few that were like more influential than popular because they were doing something that was different you know they weren't they were playing like faster or they had like a little more aggression mm-hmm. and uh, you know like the, the breakaway band from that scene obviously was uh, Iron Maiden you know and a lot of people consider Motorhead to be a new wave of British heavy metal band right I've seen Venom listed as a new wave of British heavy metal band which I find odd because you know, I mean, technically, I guess you can call them that, you know. Are they British? Yeah, they're British. But, yeah. you know, the, people want to consider, you know, they, they also get listed as a, a black metal band, you know. Like, yeah. It's the same way Celtic Frost is, like, influenced, like, is a listed as a black metal or whatever. So know? Celtic Frost or Celtic Frost? I say Celtic Frost. I don't know. You know, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you do whatever you want, you know. Yeah, yeah. One of those words. You know. Is it the New England Celtics or whatever, the Boston Celtics? Like, oh right, right. Who knows? Yeah, you know. To me, I, I don't know. I, I, I always say Celtic Frost. Yeah, it is, it's a big conversation in comic Marvel comics too. But I digress. But I have this kid that I tutor, and we're talking about whether it's Magneto or Magneto, and he goes, Magneto sounds like a type of cheese. No, 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 no. He said Magneto sounds like a type of cheese. I can't, I don't know. I was like, it's Mag... Now I can't, now I'm all mixed up. I can't remember. But we went down the list and he thinks it's sub, Submariner. I'm like, it's not fucking Submariner. It's no, Submariner. Submariner, man. Yeah. Definitely. The, uh, what do they say in the movies, in the, in the X-Men movies? What do they call them? They call them Magneto or Magneto? Yeah, I think, well, according to this kid, 
They call him Magnus all the time. They'll almost hardly, uh, yeah, who knows? Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to watch some of those we, we had a whole list of the of these things, me and this kid. He's really smart. He's really funny. Today, we were trying to think up a, uh, I was trying to help him think up a name for his character. I was like, you should call him Pluto. And he goes, that sounds like a type of fart. I'm not calling him Pluto. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a point. <laughs> hey, have you, um, are you familiar with Jack Katz? Oh, yeah, yeah, this... Was it called this hidden world or uh, this, first this kingdom? King, first kingdom. Yeah, yeah. They uh, that stuff's being collected now. Oh wow! Because I just picked up. I mean, the, I think the first hardcover is all hardcover, like deluxe editions. I think it came out like last year. But I just I was in Midtown Comics and uh, and came across it. It was like for sale. Yeah, for sale for like eighteen bucks or whatever. Or something a whole collection. Like well, it's no, no. The Reaper. first first edition. There's 24 issues. Like yeah. there's 24 books of the Iliad and the Odyssey, and it's an interesting story because that that's I think uh, was it 1974 maybe. He he was a guy who was involved in mainstream comics in the 40s and the late 40s. Oh, I didn't and know 50s. that. Yeah, he worked for Marvel. Uh, worked for DC. Um. He worked for a bunch of different companies, and then in the 70s, he discovered, like, the underground comics. And yeah. That's when he started putting together his uh, epic tale of the First Kingdom, you know. And, um, you know, because I was thinking about, like, sort of, like, unsung. We were talking earlier about these unsung people and the lives they led, but he's a guy who, you know, people, like, embrace, you know, the Watchmen, you know, Dark Knight, you know, Ronin to some, you know, all those <laughs> Frank Miller you know, they, they look at that as like a real breakthrough in comics, and they are. Yeah. But this guy was out a good 10 years earlier than that, producing something on the same magnitude, but hardly anyone knows who he is. Because I remember maybe three or four years ago, because I, I have a couple of the individual issues, which I, you know, found. Um, and it was one of those things, when I was like a young kid, I used to get that Bud Plant, like, um, catalog. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah they, what talking about? Yeah, had like a weird kind of sub crumb or uh, yeah. piece of art advertising yep. it in comics. Yeah, yeah. They, People walking like in a parade of weird characters. Yeah, you sent away and you got like a free catalog, and the catalog had a bunch of stuff in there. And I'll, mostly, I didn't order. You know, I mean, I was like you know, fucking twelve or something like that. So I wasn't going to order like I, my parents weren't going to let me order like First Kingdom where there's like naked women on yeah. the cover, and you know. Um, but uh, nonetheless, that's something that that. That was one of these mysterious things from my childhood that I was, I need to get my hands on this. So yeah. like in my adult life, I managed to uh, scrounge up a couple of copies of that, um, those original issues. And there weren't like, and I remember this being frustrating because they did not fit into a standard, you know, size bag. And I, I was like, man, well, how am I going to preserve these? You know, Were they I mean? magazine format? They weren't. They, they were, were too small to be magazines and they were too big to be standard <laughs> you know, modern comics yeah. they weren't like silver age size. They were just some oddball size. Yeah. And I didn't know how to, you know, care for them necessarily. But, uh, but anyway, now, uh, every, you know, every year for a while, like for the last like 10 or 15 years, like I would periodically try to see if anyone was collecting those and putting them out in like a deluxe omnibus edition or whatever. Um, and sure enough, man, I wasn't even looking for it. I just happened to be in Midtown comics last week. Wow. And I was like, holy shit so I, I bought it and then I researched it and they're in the middle of releasing these things so it's like I think two or three two or three collections have come out but um, there's still you know a bunch more to come out 
So it's impressive. Is it as impenetrable as I remember it? When you try to read them straight? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like very dense. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. So that's a, that's the thing. When you're a kid, you don't always know when you look back at shit you tried to read when you're 18, if it was dense or if it was shitty and you just weren't able to, you weren't able to appreciate it. If you weren't able to kind of break through the kind of flowery, flowery, flowery language and get to the kernel of the idea, like I started reading. It's funny you mentioned cats because somebody sent me a link to some some dude who did all of the John Carter books. Oh, like wait, do you mean the 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 Marvel Comics version of John Carter or the books? It was the books. Okay, and somebody did them as comics, and it was not Marvel. Oh. And it's a lot like he has a very cats like vibe or a Fletcher Hanks vibe. But I mean, is this was this from the seventies or eighties or, or current? Because John looks, Carter is being adapted now. I'll send it to you, and you'll see what I mean. Yeah. It's really crude. It looks like early Christian artwork from the seventeen hundreds. It's really crude, but it gets all the power of the idea across. And I was like, I'm reading it, and it's a pretty straight adaptation. Uh-huh. The only thing that's weird about it is there's it, just. There's just so much gratuitous nudity. Yeah, I think this is the more the more current one, really. We'll, we'll talk, I'll send it to you. The newer say, one is like tits and ass, like all over the place, man. Yeah, but this is drawn really crudely. Okay. It looks like an underground cartoonist did okay. it. It right. looks like Ace Backwards or somebody right, did it almost. It the staging, but I mean, it gets the power of the stories across. I've never been so into huh. John Carter. I've always been a fan. I was ever since. Uh, when I was a kid in the 70s, I remember when Marvel had that run. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, been collected, actually. The Roy Thomas. With yep. Roy Gil- Thomas is a fucking badass when it comes to that shit. Mm-hmm. Conan, John Carter, King Cole. Yeah. Like, all that stuff. He's, like, the man when it comes to writing all that. Um, that's what got me into it. And then, you know, I found the books. You know, the John Carter, the Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, tiny they're like you know like 110 pages long usually yeah. and i just got into all of them man and it was like interesting character did you know that robert e howard sort of has a rip-off character of john carter of mars no what's it called it's called almerick no yeah it's basically a, it's a similar story you know i mean both of those guys were like pulp writers from like you know the 30s or whatever i think right 30s that's a good question i think i yeah. think their 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 time was the 30s you know robert e howard killed himself like 27 or something like that, or 28 or 29, 30 years old, killed yeah. himself at a young age. So, I mean, all of those guys are all borrowing from each other and being influenced by, like, you know, all these, you know, H.P. Lovecraft and, you know, Clark Ashton Smith, like, influencing all these guys. But he, he had one book that came out. I actually have two copies of it, two different editions of it on my bookshelf over there. And it's basically the same type of deal where, like, this Earth guy gets transported to another planet and he doesn't quite fit in on earth, you know, cause you know, Howard always had like the, um, you know, that sort of like didn't fit in modern society, you know, was more primitive and, you know, more suited to being a warrior. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what this guy was. And then he got transported to this other planet where he was able to flourish as this warrior. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting though. But, uh, that, the John Carter movie, I don't think, really really hit with a lot of people, though. I, I, I barely even remember it. with 10 years ago or something? No, no. It came out, like, just a couple of years ago. Big disaster, that movie? Like, big... I, I didn't even see it, actually, because so many people told me it wasn't good. Who plays him? Like, Guy oh, Pierce? No. Guy Pierce would have been great. Yeah. 
But um, I don't know, some guy. I kind of remember. I think I was still working at Cosmic when that came out. Probably, yeah. And I remember, yeah, I think I remember some people championing it, saying, oh, you know, you know what's out right now? And I don't usually, it's uh, uh, Mark Millar. He, oh. He's doing this book called, I think, Starlight or something. Okay. It's pretty, it's another one of those comics where it's an old character. It's like the um, Unforgiven kind of concept. Okay. The guy who's gray and old, the faded warrior. So it's a great twist. That guy, Mark Millar is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I remember Mark Millar first started writing. I was like 23 years old and he's only a year older than me. And he was doing that run on Swamp Thing when he was 24 years old. And oh. I was so jealous of him because that, that run still stands up. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, so he's doing this comic where this guy is a John Carter-like character, and he's been back on Earth for 25, 30 years. And what happened was when he came back, he was just, he went to this other planet. They were underneath the thumb of some, some you know, dictator. He freed them from the yoke of slavery. He, the women fell in love with him and begged him to stay and be their king. And he was like, I got to go home. I got a girl waiting for me there. And he comes back, and everybody thinks he's insane. And so he lives his life disgraced. Even his kids don't respect him. And he's this... They got Gorav, the guy who did the Punisher comics oh, when yeah. when Garth Ennis was Garth writing Ennis, them. Yep. They got him doing the art. Oh, wow. And it's like the guy's back on Earth. His wife... At the beginning of the comic, his wife has just, di just died of cancer. And he's this huge hulking guy. And he's just very... He's like this shattered wreck of a man. And, you know... What's it called again? It might be called Starlight. Starlight. And it's, it's out... It's being published right now. Yeah, I have like I, I got like three of the issues. I was actually oh. doing a signing for Henry and Glenn, and I hadn't been in a comic book store for a while, and it was like I saw the issues over there, and I was like, I gotta, I haven't dipped my toe into this pool for a while. I've been mostly invested in supporting my friends who do yeah. more underground stuff, yeah. and I was like, but I've always loved Mark Millar. Yeah. So I picked it up, and uh, it's pretty interesting. He seems to be... I'm, I'm just jumping around, but the guy, what I see is they're sort of... I think that the book is very ironic. I think that he's trying to make some kind of... Talk a little bit about how doomed America is, and talk about our foreign policy, and you have this fantasy, because they have the situation on this other planet, which is just like the Middle East situation. Mm -hmm. And when he left, thinking he had cleaned everything up, it turns out he left a vacuum where a worse dictator took oh, over. Wow. Okay. So he comes back, but all it takes is this fucking, you know, determined old white guy to fucking set everything right. So you have this incredibly complicated situation, and he doesn't give a fuck, and he's just like, right is right and wrong is wrong, and I I swear, you know, some little kid comes and begs him to save their world. And he's like, I gave my word to this Cub Scout and I'm going to save their world. And it's almost like, it's almost like Mark Millar saying, sure, keep on believing this fantasy America. It's like, I, I think the whole thing is trying to give you, it's trying to give him this idea about um, an America that can succeed. And at the end of it, he's going to somehow subvert the whole, the whole fantasy that he's weaving. Interesting. It's a very seductive fantasy. Huh. Yeah, for anyone out there who might not be familiar with who we're talking about, if you're still listening to this podcast, <laughs> anyone who's not a comic book fan, Mark Millar's the guy who did Kick Ass and like yeah. you know a bunch of. That's probably the most recognizable thing I think to the general pop population. Yeah, I guess so. Though I mean, everything he's done has been pretty, really, really readable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's great, but. For some reason, that's the one that got me into a movie and, you know. And talk about a guy who was like, he succeeded at Marvel and DC, and then he was like, 
I'm going to take my name and I'm going to go off where I can own my own shit. And he owns all the comics he's doing now, which I'm sure have a fraction of the advertising budget that he would have if he was still at Marvel yeah. and DC. It's all shit that I'm sure he's, I think it's from Molar World. Okay. So he, yeah, it's he, his own imprint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like uh, Brubaker's doing all of his, his own shit, too, now. He's got, like... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Oh, for Image, though? Uh, yeah, but it's his... He owns the characters, though. You know, it's a like criminal and incognito. Um, he has a new title, yeah. Velvet. So, supposedly, if you get a deal with Image, they give you, like, unprecedented, like percentage points of ownership and uh-huh. like you get like it's like a 50 50 split really? is basically what i've heard but i mean they're, they're killing it nowadays though image like it's funny because back in the 90s when they had um jim lee and and all that that sure. whole you know uh, wild storm universe yeah and then when that when he left and that became part of uh dc comics yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it just shit the bed really Image is kind of left holding the bag. Like, they didn't really have anything. But then they had The Walking Dead. And then, you know, we all know what happened with Walking Dead. And then, little by little, that you know, they had had Powers and Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. You know, Powers, you know, the Bendis title. Yeah. You know, he became a big superstar, you know. Um, I'm still waiting for that to become a movie. They've tried very hard to turn that into a TV property. TV property, I can see that. They had it cast with, um, what's a dude? It's a dude from... um, uh shit what the, he's like in speed too uh, a little short hairy dude i don't know <laughs> he's uh anyways he was gonna play that's why in powers gradually detective walk the male detective yeah he got he started to morph him and have him be a little bit more more human looking <laughs> and so he could look a little bit more like the actor that's funny so they cast him and they cast an actress who um for deanna who i had seen in bit parts before and then the pilot didn't take and now it's supposedly going again there's a bunch of stuff really cool bendis titles that image did like in the late 90s like torso like all these like crime yeah. Like true crime sort of stories that he did that I thought were really good. Bendis used to be, there's a point where uh, he was a big influence on my writing. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Man, Marvel totally fucked up now, man. I, I mean, you haven't been paying attention probably to like mm. the mainstream comic world. I've been noticing how DC's fucking up. Like, they're both re- fucking up. <laughs> so they're both, they're both, they, Marvel, I, my, I mean, yeah. I'm sure someone's going to disagree with me on this, but they took like, like they were ruling the world for a while, and then they just screwed everything up. They got all the, they changed all the characters, you know, and and it's um, it's just I think they they fucking destroyed themselves. Really, they committed suicide. You know, it's been weird how I mean, all the years I've been paying attention to comics, I've never been as out of the circle as I am right now. I mean, but mostly it's about money. It used to be that... Yeah, it's expensive by comics. Fucking A, yeah. It used to be like, shit, this series looks terrible, but it's 1997, and I'm going to go see what this onslaught bullshit's about. Okay, that was horrible, but only spent a dollar twenty-five. so fuck, you know, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah, man, I can't just casually pick up a comic right now, and it's like, and then they, you know, I'm older now too, and I have a lot of stuff. Yeah. I don't need more comics cluttering the floor. But I paid attention to all of Marvel's big events. Uh, the last one that I think I was kind of, you know, I was involved with I, was Civil War. Yeah, yeah. Now I look back, and that was a good series. It oh, was. that's what that's what Mark Millar wrote yeah. uh, that people might might or might not know about. I don't know. I don't know what's been killing it for me. But you know, I'm just I'm just older. You know, maybe I'm just not uh, the audience for it. But 
when I was working at Cosmic, when we first met, I was, um, I think maybe that, maybe that was it, having access to sort of unlimited comics to read and seeing the way that they cycle in, they cycle out. You'll have a series, you'll have a series and maybe you have 10 series launched and one of them will be worth reading or out of that series, five issues that come out of the year are, are worth reading. You know, it, it, it started to make me, uh, disc, you know, step aside from it a little bit and yeah. see it a little bit. On a, it kind of, kind of broke the spell, I think, a little bit. The, uh, but, but it has more to do with the way the industry's going and allowing myself to step out and not. I used to be addicted to comics, I think. Dude, me too. I yeah. Mean, and, and it's not, I, I don't think it's that I'm older, but I think it's just, you know, if Swamp Thing came out today with Alan Moore writing it or the Millar Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. I would be totally down for it. If Pre- yeah. Or if Preacher came out today, I'd mm-hmm. be there, totally in- invested in it. Yeah. Like, honestly, right now, I, I read The Walking Dead. Um, you know, I read the new Batman stuff, which is kind of good. You know, they rebooted the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of it, man. I kind of dropped a lot of a lot of the Marvels. I used to be a Mar- the, the Marvel company, man. I used to read, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, everything. And once, you know, the Punisher, you know, Brubaker left. Yeah. And it just, I hardly read anything anymore. I just read like a couple titles here and there. You know, and it's just, uh, and I'm like, well, maybe because I'm getting, you know, it's it's maybe, maybe I am not the uh, the audience, but. Yeah, maybe we're not the audience But anymore. I do remember like Hellblazer, you know, Sandman, you know, once again, you know, Swamp Thing, which is like, you know, the epitomizes all that stuff. And even some of the stuff at Image, like The Authority and, and um, Stormwatch and all that stuff. You know, they had stuff like when Warren Ellis was writing, that stuff was like dealing with some pretty heavy topics. You know, I just feel like a lot of that stuff's gone. Maybe I should look into more, more of the Image titles. What about like uh, underground stuff? Do you read any Fantagraphics books these days? I dabble. Yeah. You know, I dabble in it. And uh, maybe I should check out more of that stuff. Like, what's what's good in that world? Um, I mean, so much. Uh, Anything that Pete Bag or Daniel Close write? Yeah. Know, any of their books, I always check out. I mean, um, there's a lot of good shit coming out. I mean, everything on uh, Retrofit that you know, I'm biased because it's the label that I come out on. Right. Uh, everything on there is good. Um, everything. Uh, everything. All all me and my collaborators do is good. <laughs> but there's you know there's some giants in the independent scene. As far as somebody who delivers the kind of high octane like blood and gut stuff that we're talking about. I mean, Ben Mara can do no wrong, but I'm biased there too. Cause he's a collaborator of a project that I'm not really announcing yet that involves sort of mixing in like, um, independent creators with, um, with old out of work, Marvel creator, not out of work, but retired and kind of faded Marvel creators. Yeah. So I'm not naming names yet, but that's something that I've been working on in semi secret for the last year and a half. And we should have a run of a whole slew of titles coming out in 2015. But do you know Benjamin Mara's stuff? I know the name. I don't, I'm not familiar with his stuff, though. Benjamin yeah, Mara. yeah, he's a throwback. Okay. He's he's very uh, he's funny. He he's like um, there was a documentary on John Melius who yeah. you know yeah that that's that was powerful man that was great yeah it was great yeah he uh, uh, Mara's like a lot like John Melius. He's okay. like he's he's doing all these sort of like quasi right wing power fantasy comics uh-huh. and um he's just following his muse you know he's i've talked to him he's a he's not an insensitive guy you know he's not like some kind of raving like like provocative asshole in his personal life but he just he he loves his toy chest of playing around with these um 
you know, with uh, uh, all these canon film archetypes. And he does it so well. But the, the most fascinating thing about him is just his set. Like, I've been editing his stuff because he illustrated some shit that I wrote. And as an artist, just having to stare at his shit while I'm doing rearranging words and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I just can't believe the way he does lighting. Can't believe the way he does facial expressions and the way he does textures and mixes it all up and has it as clear as day. You know, he loves people like, um, uh, he's a guy, uh, Delay. Jalesi, who used to do Hands of Kung Fu. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, he loves that guy. He's been actually trying to ask me about maybe pulling him into this thing that I'm doing, because we've been getting names like that involved. Wow. okay. It's called All Time Comics, and uh, my brother, he asked me to try to get it off the ground. My brother is like a filmmaker in L.A. Um, he did a, a movie that, yeah. uh, that I saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, you know, he just did, he's still like, still like, um, just did like a music video for, uh, it, the thing about Sam, my brother, is it doesn't matter what the subject matter is. It's just, you throw it to him, he'll play ball with it. So he just did a music video for, who's that, uh, Maroon 5. And oh, he, yeah, yeah. That's like, yeah. Fucking, it's, it looks like, it looks like a Gaspar No movie. It's fucking, it's like this blood-soaked video that he did. And uh, he flew me out to help do some production work on it. Um, anyways, he's a very talented dude and he's, you know, my brother, um, my brother's out there like in the, in the trenches all the time in the real world, trying to make as much money as he can. And he has used it to, he put me through school, put my brother John half, half, he funded half my brother John's education. My brother John was like, he was like a dispatcher at a trucking company and he's like a corporate lawyer now. And he's like, um. And me, you know, I had I didn't go to school to my thirties, but that's because of my brother's success. But he allows me to like sit back, and you know, he's allowed me to like sit back, and I can do my co- independent comics and shit. And you know, I support myself through teaching. But I know if I ever got in fucking trouble, he'd send he'd throw me a life preserver. But he's out there being the patriarch of the family. And well, didn't your brother do like a like a really big video though? He's done huge videos. He but I mean, like there was something he did. Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit. That, that's the one. Well, right that's there. what put him on that's the map. Insane that your yeah. brother did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, you know, I was twenty one when that happened, and uh, you know, I'd only heard of Nirvana, you yeah. know, and all of a sudden they were this huge band, and yeah, it changed his life. And then he, it's, but it's interesting when that happens, you know, there's no rule, there's no like guidebook for how you continue to succeed so he went from doing that band to i i'd visit him in la like right after it happens and he was kind of like trying to find his feet as a director and just continuing to stay solvent so he did like he didn't go from doing like nirvana to doing like madonna or something he was still a little bit untested but they gave him a big chance Mm -hmm. and he was doing like ramones and pil like when they did like a really whatever their last album was and Ozzy not necessarily because I mean these are all artistically credible bands but they all wanted some a piece of that Nirvana action and they what, could what all what Ozzy did he do? he did Mama I'm Coming Home okay which Lemmy wrote yeah yeah right. so it's kind of a cool video like there's a fucking dove that they let out and it flew back like from they let it out and it flew back and attacked Ozzy's face and you can see it on camera at least that's what I heard I wasn't out there but anyways um yeah, so Sam, he wants to, he has this production company and he wanted to fund this, um, 
who wanted to fund this comic company. And so he contacted me and said, can you pull it together and try to get some comics that look like old comics? Oh, cool. So I immediately thought of Mara. And yeah. then I brought him into play, and, you know, we knew each other, but we weren't, like, buddies or anything. And he's ended up being like, really, really chill to work with. He's, like, the fucking most pro guy in the world. That's awesome. And then, uh, I'm not going to go into all the names, but then I pulled in some other, like, old-time creators who are a, a really huge coup to get. So um, we got this stuff going. And then, and then Sam was like, you know, can you... Like, basically, he gave me three sketches of characters and then a fourth one that we kind of sketched out together. And so he was like, um, so I tried my hand at writing kind of traditional comic book scripts. And then, uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, just do your best. And I got really into it. I stayed up nights and like fucking, you know, wrote my first couple of scripts and they were kind of wonky and it was really hard. And then it got easier and easier. And the last one I wrote, we came up this character together called, um, uh, basically called Blind Justice. Oh, okay. It's yeah. like Blind Justice, the man who walks through bullets. Mm -hmm. And Sam was like, I want to have this character who's sort of delusional, and he thinks that he's blessed by blessed by God or whatever, and he can walk. He's bulletproof, and he's but he's not. He's just crazy. So that's like basically what he gave me. And he was like, so come up with this character, you know, kind of Rorschachy. Yeah, or was, that's what I think of immediately. I think of Watchmen and Rorschach and like you know. So I came up with this character that, you know, I'm always, I've always been really obsessed with prison themes. Uh -huh. And I was like, well, in prison, they always do that thing, like it's in that movie Ricochet when John Lithgow is going to go do a gladiator fight and he ties all these phone books and shit like all around his body. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to have this dude. I got this idea of this guy who his secret identity is he lives in a cranial trauma ward and everybody thinks that he's a vegetable and when there's trouble to be when there's trouble a brewing he sneaks out and he goes in the bathroom and he just he's a really skinny little dude and he just binds himself up and he's got cardboard and layers of cardboard and duct tape and wood and what do we say phone books and he just makes his homemade armor and then he has this crazy homemade duct tape mask and then he has this kind of like talking head stop making sense giant suit oh, okay and people think that you know it wouldn't work in real life you wouldn't be able to nimbly you know jump over fences and shit but in yeah. our comic you can and so that's what i came up with and i was like i hope this is going to work because i can't think of anything else and sam was like i love that i was like that's that's cool so i uh, came up with this comic and then I got really into writing it. So I wrote two of them and the second one I got really into. And the second story that I did, which an artist is working on right now, is I had this vision of, uh, there's a, I was gonna have it that the blind justice guy, he goes, he's just called Justice, it's a long story, but Justice, later on he's gonna lose his eyes and he changes his name to Blind Justice. So he, <laughs> so he, uh, is chasing this dude who's like this sort of American psycho yuppie killer and he chases the guy into the woods and then they both kind of degenerate and it turns into like a, a, a morse from an urban story it's almost like a Conan story oh wow so when the blind justice guy finally finds this dude he's the guy is like you know suits are his nice suits are gone his hair his ponytails come down and he just looks like uh, he looks like John, like 
you know, name your King Call or something. He looks like name your barbarian. So it was going to end up being, that's the way I'm, so that's basically the beats that I had. And I formed the story out of that idea. I was like, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to have him track the guy to the woods. And it's funny, whenever you write, I don't know how I'm going to look back on this. If I hold it up to something like Seth, Seth or whatever, how I'm going to think it compares. But when I did it, I was like, this is the most personal story I've ever read. It's got stuff I'm very obsessed with you know, in, waste into it. It's got all the prison shit in there that I've always been in, interested in. It's got a little bit of, you know, the cranial trauma ward has to do with my, uh, has, is a little bit of a, an homage to Bill Mantlow because as we didn't talk about today, but Bill Mantlow who wrote Rom, who's almost like a sort of, you know, kind of like a big guiding figure in my work. He was hit by, when he was younger than me, when he was 42, he was hit by a hit and run driver oh. And he lives in a cranial trauma ward where he needs around-the-clock care. Mm. So that idea, even knowing that there's something called cranial, tra- cranial trauma units, um, was something that I took from my interest in his story. Wow. So this comic feels really personal, but I have a whole line of these coming out. That's going to be like next year? Yeah, yeah. I wish it was right now, but well, it's still... Like a few months, really, if you think about it, we're in October already. Yeah, I got to get some of the... Let's see. Some of the issues are totally drawn and inked one of them's being colored right now so we have a slew of production work coming up so i'm hoping early 2015 they're going to be out cool where where's like the the sort of um go-to place where people can check out stuff online for you oh uh joshbear.com Okay, and then that's that's got every every bit of information it's about got, what's going on. It's got every bit of information. It has uh, in my teaching schedule. I'm like I need to get on top of. It has links to my teaching. It's not, but it's got contact information if you have any questions. It has my store where you can buy everything that we've mentioned today. It has my Tumblr where you can see recent work, and it's got uh, and you can contact me at joshbear.com with any kind of questions or inquiries or even cheap drawing com- drawing commissions. I started a book this year called Drawings You Wanted, where I took drawing requests that I get, and I just took 50 of them and turned them into a book. And that's kind of fun, so I do give discount drawings. Like, I get weird requests. Like, like what? What's, like, the weirdest request? Oh, um, you know, uh, draw, draw, you know, um... Modoc, uh, <laughs> you know, all, it's always like take character A and have him shitting into character B's mouth. But then there's other really weird, like requests that I'm left open to interpret. Interpret like one was one of them was a vibrating gnome. So like a, I drew like a gar. It wasn't vibrating. It was something even different. Wow, that's you know when you say that, I think of like DMT and like uh, you know Terrence McKenna. We talk about vibrating gnomes and stuff. What's Ter- Who's that? Oh man. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, you know, allegedly if you take uh, dimethyltryptamine, you know, which is like made in your brain. You yeah. That's part of the. Allegedly, if you do that, you um. You experience a, a something similar to a near-death experience, and some of the entities that you see are these vibrating cyber gnomes. You're you kidding! Know? Wow. Yeah, Terrence McKenna, a writer, he's like an ethnobotanist. It's like there's two brothers, Terrence McKenna and uh, Dennis McKenna, and they have you know books and books and books and lectures online and everything you could, about talking about psychedelics and you know connecting to this uh, cyber realm and. Uh, so that's probably, you know, maybe that's what this person was talking about. A vibrating maybe. gnome might have had something to do with his uh, experiences, 
on uh, dimethyltryptamine. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. Yeah, and he just assumed that you'd know what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah, I, I like I've listed a handful of the requests before, and when they would really pile up, it's fucking nuts. Let's see, I got a request for a girl gang. I mean, they're all really fun to draw. I got one of Jack Kirby beating up Stan Lee. I got one of, you know, uh, a lot of things that appeal to, you know, people who will try to appeal to my interest would be like have Nancy and Rom interacting. Who did I draw? I drew two characters dancing once that was really fun. But I got a request for a pink armadillo, a pink fairy armadillo. Um, so anyway, so I've continued that because I want to do a second collection of these drawings. Yeah. And I can, it's actually a good warm up for me to do a, do a fast drawing. I recently got somebody who requested I do Adam Warlock. Oh, wow. One Crucif- of my favorite characters, actually. Crucified with dollar bills crushed into his hands. So that was a fun one. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, actually, I love, and I, I love the, again, it's the idea of it being, you know, there's not a huge separation between the audience and the creators in comics. A lot of these people, like uh, Matt Kish is the guy who, who asked me to do the Adam Warlock drawing, and he's a complete, a, a totally respected book illustrator and cartoonist. So the, the idea of people giving me ideas, it's more of that same attitude. Like, keep going, man. Keep going. You know, get into the pit. That's, uh... Adam Warlock's one of my favorite characters. Not so much in the later eras, but like Jim Starlin. Yeah. And uh, di- didn't Jack Kirby... Didn't, Invented him. Yeah, him. Him. Right? In like Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it was a bit... It was kind of a bone of contention between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Because if you read the story, it's a little bit like two two visions at odds with each other. So I read an article about it, how Kirby wanted these scientists who created him to be kind of hapless. They created life and didn't know what to do with it. And Stan was like, nope, we need good and evil, like Mm. kind of sketched out in really broad strokes. The really interesting thing about Kirby and Stan Lee's work together is I read an article recently where they said that if you look at this really early Fantastic Four, you ever seen the one where it's like issue nine or something? Doctor Doom like takes their headquarters and blasts it into space, and the Submariner is teaming up with Doom, and the Fantastic Four is like he fucking left you with us. He cut you loose, and like the Submariner is like you know it's a point of honor for him. So he's like, okay, okay, fucking guys, back off. And he goes into their basement and he goes into their pool room and bursts out of the building and leapfrogs on all these asteroids till he reaches doom and it's this revenge mission and this art this writer came said that if you read the issue it's jack kirby writing it as well as drawing it wow okay because the characterizations are way different like there's this image of the submariner when he bursts out of the building he's like time for talk is over and now it's go time and the only word is go, go, go. And there's this close-up of it. Like, he's far away and then closer. It's a, it's like a camera. Oh, yeah. Chunk, 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 chunk. Like, um, what do you call those cuts? Like those... Uh, jump cuts. Jump cuts to his yeah. face. Uh-huh. And they're saying there's no way that Stan Lee would have been able to let this go without being like writing describing how with every muscle and every tendon oh yeah yeah you know, i see what you're saying yeah. you know pull to his absolute maximum and they also said that namor's depiction is he's he's not verbose in this issue and dr doom is a lot more like dark side 
they're uh, a lot not nearly as cartoonish and I remember we had a reprint of this issue when I was a kid and I used to be obsessed with it and it was really satisfying hearing that it was an early example of Jack Kirby without Stan Lee getting in his huh. way yeah that's that, that's that's like some of my favorite stuff man it's like the, the early or like that period of Marvel with Jack you know Jack Kirby and, and Stan Lee and specifically the things they did with like the Silver Surfer and Galactus and all that kind of stuff you know Silver Surfer has always been like one of my favorite characters too yeah especially like the, that early when he was trapped on Earth and that whole trip you know the loneliness oh. and yeah you know that whole the, the longing and like the, just that whole experience is like interesting you know and, and yeah that's what I mean like I don't I think that if those comics even if they came out today I would be totally into it you know oh yeah there I know they don't any stories like that no they don't look like the comics don't look, look like those kind of comics anymore they really don't and I liked you know I liked looking back on the 80s I liked how jam-packed some of those comics were would t- I when I flipped through an issue with a kid's budget yeah I would gauge how long it would take me to read it among other things so that's another thing you know I'd read if you look at DP7 or something which is aged pretty well I didn't appreciate it when it came out uh, I mean it's like full of nine panel grids and it's you know it's wor- it's heavy it's like it got a lot of verbiage, but um, Silver Surfer there's another issue of I think the Kirby Collector where mm-hmm. they print the original pencils. Oh wow! And you know that's the thing with Kirby he would do he was more responsible for the writing than people commonly acknowledge because he would draw Stan Lee would give him a note often just a couple words he'd go off he'd fucking write he'd plot the story he'd draw it. He would put, he'd shade it, he'd do all the finished pencils, and then he would do little notes in the margins of what was going on in the panel, and Stan Lee would read it, sometimes it being the very first time he even knew what was, what was happening, and he would paraphrase what Kirby wrote, and he made some of it more palatable, but a lot of it, he, if you look at Kirby's original notes, he, Kirby had this David Mamet-like street intensity to his writing. Yeah. Sometimes it was wonky, but it is aged so much better than Stan Lee's writing. Yeah. And yeah, Stan's oh, we, writing... Yeah. Okay. No, no, cool. His writing is definitely, uh, you know, using a lot of sort of flowery language, and it, it, it it's it, it's like nostalgic when you read it, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, there's Stan Lee just kicking it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't really, you know, you you you, uh, you you read it in the same way that you might listen to, like, something that's nostalgic from, like, your childhood or something, you know? Yeah. Like the way you listen to, like, Foreigner 4 or something like that. <laughs> you know? Which yeah. one is uh, I Want to Know What Love Is on? I think it's a later one, actually. It's got to be, yeah. Or, like, Ario Speedwagon, High Infidelity, or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good comparison. I mean, because Ario Speedwagon is great on a mixtape, and then it's if you fucking never try to listen to a full album. It's really hard. I'm going to throw this out there, that there's a record by Ario Speedwagon called Nine Lives. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were a legitimate rock band before High Infidelity came out. Because I remember being, like, a young kid, you know, that record came out and, like, you know, just starting to pay attention to girls and stuff. And, like, a lot of girls liked it. And, yeah, like, yeah. You know, the girls were, like, the big comb in their back pocket. You know, they were all, like, <laughs> Ario Speedwagon and, like, High Infidelity. And I just could not get with it, man. And years later, I discovered that uh, they were, like, a hard rocking band, like, touring, you know, badass, like, rock band before that record came out. And that was their way of building a career for themselves you know going right. back to more journey kind of vibe you know well it's funny what people have to do to survive and you like 
I mean, even bands that who was I was thinking about? Oh, um, shit, maybe it was Celtic Frost. I oh. was doing some research on them, and I think the drummer was like, well, they're not touring now, right? No, well, it's Trypticon. Like Tom Warrior has a new band called Trypticon. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. And they they disbanded a number of years ago. It's like. Oh, Trypticon disbanded no, no, Tri- to Trypticon's happening now. Yeah, I think that maybe it was him or the drummer for Trypticon was like, this band isn't cutting it for me. It's a good thing I have a, a day job. So you cut your audience. When you're a kid, you're like, oh, these guys that are fucking, I've heard about them in magazines. They must be mega huge. But that mega hugeness, big enough to support a world tour and all that shit, it doesn't always add up. And you hear about like artists like, like Warhol. He... You know, you've seen, like, those flowers that he did, the flower paintings he did in the cows. Yeah. I read a biography of his. Even when he was getting famous, his shit was too hard-edged to mm-hmm. sell. Mm-hmm. So people loved the idea of the Campbell soup cans and the oh, Brillo yeah. pads, but mm-hmm. he didn't, they weren't buying it. They bought it later. Yeah. But the Atrocity series, because he was doing, you know, he was doing suicides yeah. and executions and prisoners and even the Elvis paintings people didn't want in their homes. So his, he was like, I need, it's not enough that I'm famous, I gotta make money. And he started doing these real, the cows are saccharine, the flowers are actually beautiful. He started doing these flower paintings and these cow paintings because that's what people wanted. And I was like, that's amazing. It's like, it wasn't enough. He had his name in the record books already. Two years after doing Brillo pads and Campbell's soup cans and being this huge, huge phenomenon, he had to sell out to make a little bit of money. Yeah. And he was able to pull it back in. I mean, his early se- 1975, like his hammer and sickle and skull paintings, mm-hmm. it's like, that shit's like proto-punk artwork. He's, yeah, definitely. And that was like his last gasp at doing stuff that had artistic credibility to it. Yeah, even Celtic Frost, they had their uh, that Cold Lake record, which is like their glam metal album. Oh, yeah? I, I actually like that record. Yeah. But people, it's a big, like, uh, you know, bone of contention amongst extreme metal fans that... yeah. You know, because, like, everything prior to that was, like, you know, super brutal, like, hard-edged, dark, you know. And then they have, um, he puts out this record where it's basically just him and uh, these other guys from L.A. or whatever. And then teased out hair. There's, like, a video. And uh, I, I I actually think it's it has merit as, like, just for what it is. Maybe if he had a different name, you know, for the band. But he's humiliated by the record. Oh, really? Yeah, and most people completely hmm. talk shit on it but I think it's I actually think for what it is it's good I, the, I think it's a pretty solid record really yeah I think we talked about this before with X and other yeah. great bands who have well they all have all those bands X and Iggy and I'm trying to think who else they have albums Lou Reed Lou Reed had a lot of albums that were despised yeah. right mm-hmm. and they all have merit I mean, sometimes you have to be... I mean, with in the case of Iggy and X, I wouldn't know how great the material on Blah 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 was and the great the material on Ain't Love Grand is unless I heard the live albums. So, like, I feel like, though, I feel like I already must have said this on the show. We must have gone to so this what? territory. And, yeah, you know, being a hardcore fan, fuck, yeah, you plow through that stuff and you get... Like, we, Iggy has an album called Live in New York, and I was like, holy shit, this song, Shades, where is that from? And I discovered it was on Blah Blah Blah. The song Blah 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 itself is amazing. has great, like, great lyrics. Um, fucking Shades is a beautiful love song. 
And X has, um, they have like three songs off Ain't Love Grand, which is still hard to listen to. They had the guy from Queensryche producing it. Yeah, and John John Doe said he actually tried, knowing what he knows now, tries to go tried to go back and strip off the old production, but the tape crumbled in his hands. Oh no way, man! Yeah, and it sucks. He, yeah, and it's a really you know they were trying to do whatever they're trying to do, but they did uh, that song um, around my heart. Why do you have to, you know, that song? Why do you have to take another chain and put it around my heart? That song is on the live at a whiskey live at the whiskey album, and it's heartbreaking huh. and so is um burning house of love and so is a couple others off that album ain't love grand was billy zoom on that record yeah it was the last one he all played right so on. that that has burning house of love on it okay yeah that record's not so bad really the production on it's weird the production's weird yeah i don't think that's a bad album i mean I, it, there's some like burning house of love is cool yeah um yeah, I love some of the... Let's see, what's the other one Isn't that Fourth of me? July? No, that's, that's... That's on See How We Are. See How We Are, which has a dude from Lone Justice playing guitar on That's it. right, yeah. He's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. Tony Gokerson. Yeah. The first time I saw X, I think it was the first... One of the times I saw X at the Ritz here in New York, it was uh, Dave Albin was all, and, and the dude from Lone Justice were yeah. both playing in the band. What year was it? 86. Oh, something. shit, 80, yeah. 586. Yeah. Like, I was still in high school when I saw it. I always wondered what what happened that that wasn't a ta- that wasn't a, a good enough deal to keep Dave Alvin in the band. Yeah, I don't think he had he had a solo record that came out a couple of years later, and that's all. I, that's he was had the you know the Blasters I think had broken up. He was in X for that period of time. Then he had a solo album where he does Fourth of July, yeah. on it, and then he toured. And I don't know what the hell would happen to him. He has a long. He has as many solo albums as Tom Waits does. Okay, all right, good. Yeah. I only know that one. I thought he was like working at a gas station or something. No, no. Like and then he toured with the Knitters, and so oh, he got yeah, a chance the to knitters. play. Right, he was on that too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, those are those are cool melodic album. I mean, it's no, he's no Jeffrey Lee Pierce, but he's no, is, he's a great he's a great musician. On yeah. you know, I went through a period where I tried to listen. To, you know, I had uh, King of California. I mean, they're all trying to hit that. They're all like kind of heartbreaking country influenced songs. You know, it's, it's it's a wonder why Jeffrey Lee Pierce isn't more celebrated than he is. I'll never understand it. Yeah, I mean, nice large body of work. You know, great lyrics, great performer. He has got, you know, there's like tons of footage of him performing too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just surprised that he's not celebrated the way some people are. You know, yeah, I don't know. It's like sometimes, um, fuck. I mean, you know, blonde. Uh, I don't know what it would take. I mean, I love that people love Nick Cave, and yeah. he, he's like one of my huge heroes. Totally. But there, I can name five other artists who are equally equally original. Equally melodic, equally you know, masters of songcraft, and equal equally you know, capable of writing a heartbreaking ba- love ballad. Who used to have a crazy, hairy birthday party style band like um, Azita used to be in the Scissor Girls or Thalia Zadek who used to be Come. she was in Come and Live Skull. Mm-hmm. Same kind of career arc, fucking screeching, crazy distortion, you know, juggernaut Live Skull. And Uzi before that, and then slowly morphed into this super sincere songwriter, and nobody, nobody except for a few hardcore fans know who she is. You know, uh, the drummer from Uzi used to play and briefly played in this band Anodyne that I played in. Oh yeah, I know Anodyne. Yeah, yeah he never recorded wow. anything with us. He was in the band for about five shows. 
Um, how old was he at the time? Like he had to be in his forties at the time. Yeah. Yeah. At the time. So. Yeah. But yeah, he filled in. We had this like Canadian tour, and then like I think the last date of that was like a, uh, a show with Mel Banana, and that was it. But yeah. Yeah, you know why? That's why um, John Brandon's on tour with Negative Approach right now, instead of you know nobody remembers the Laughing Hyenas. It's like it's just fucking. It seems a little. That's I guess that's success in life. You can't really. There's nobody to cry to about it. But you have to be in the right place at the right time to be given your opportunities. And for some reason, things never aligned where an audience was led to these people's material in a way that lasted or a way that kind of, um, you know, exchanged hands between generations. Yeah. Like Johnny Cash and Motorhead have always fascinated me because they stayed cool. I mean, they were cool when I was 16. They were cool when I was 26. They were always cool. And I'd see new kids come and get completely charged up by them. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. And then there's other people who... You know, we've, you know, you kind of saw, I mean, we talked about this on the show before. You kind of saw Rollins. He doesn't have like the same, he, you know, he, he's, he doesn't have like the same kind of, um, um, stature that he had when, you know, like 1987, 88, it didn't change hands to the next generation that much. Yeah. Like he, he wasn't, he doesn't come off as, as being as dangerous as he was in the eighties. And even, even throughout the nineties too, even yeah. to like the mid nineties, like, you know, when you saw Rollins in the eighties and like the nineties, you were like, you weren't sure about that guy. You know what I mean? You're, you're yeah. like, this guy's dangerous. He's a little unhinged, you know? Yeah. But then like somewhere along the line, he just became like the elder statesman of like, Generation X or something like that, you know, he became like, a, like a personality, you know. And I, I like all the different incarnations of his career, but mm-hmm. you know, but I, I prefer like that 1989, 90, you know. Well, you know what? I've always had the theory that it was had to do with, um, you know, had to do with mentorship. He was he his ident- his identity was partially a product of. Um, Dukowski. Yeah. And the other mentors in Black Flag. And you can even see, uh, you can see the further he got away from the band, the less interested he became in almost playing those, kind of playing the heel. Yeah. You know, and kind of like knowing how to, how to, um, press an audience's buttons. And he got less interested as he kind of drifted away from the band. Even the album art, like, you can see it getting less less I mean it was edgy in exactly the same way that Black Flag's art was edgy and they just got less and less interesting I think like definitely the 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 pivot point was uh, End of Silence though that Mm -hmm. was like there's something really hard and like badass about that sun like on the album cover you know that it's there's color on there you know number one it's colorful yeah compared to like the other records which is these stark black and white images well not Hot Animal Machine that had well, bright pink the pink but that yeah that wasn't really the Rollins band though that was like you know yeah Henry Rollins and Chris ha- I think Chris was Chris Haskin on that no, yeah Chris. definitely Chris and Sim but it was a slightly different lineup though and it, it wasn't was a- put out there as like a Rollins band record yeah but like you know and just, um, Hard Volume Lifetime do it they just had that like fo- either a black and white photograph or like mark mark mother's bow you know painting. yeah yeah and just like these stark 
and his books too. His, yeah. his books is really where you can see the deterior, deterioration of his aesthetic. Because the early books, like you can't run from God, yeah. it looks like um, it looks like a Jack Chick tract or like uh, a non sexy Tom of Finland art piece. It's like it's so cool. It's so it's graphite. It looks a lot like the cover of Lifetime, and then. Uh, fucking pissing in the gene pool has Mark Mother's Bond and then he started doing Bang and uh, fucking all those books they have such shitty cover art um now watch him die is like this bad art school drawing of a demon's head flipping upside down and just kind of looks vaguely badass or something so anyway so yeah I think that um as he got away from those guys he changed I don't know. I'm just guessing. No, that makes sense. But it was it was funny when he had that whole brouhaha over his article about Robin Williams' suicide. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I kind of I sort of paid attention to that a little bit. Well, yeah. It was like Internet Outrage of the Week. Yeah. It was like, fucking, there's real world problems going on. There's fucking genocides and all over the fucking world. And people are flipping out about what one quasi-celebrity said about another one. But he... uh I was a little bit like, I, I, I skimmed the article and he was like, suicide is bullshit and I don't buy into it. And I was like, you're, you're a fucking, what about all the books you published? You're like, I went out on stage with barely, barely healing, like, lacerations that I inflicted on myself in the, in my dressing room. Or I grabbed, I was so fucking pissed off. I grabbed a jagged piece of glass. I grabbed an ashtray, broke it, and I cut myself. It felt so hurt at first. And then after a while, it felt so good to bleed. I'm like, can you at least acknowledge that you used to be that dude? I mean, he was like, remember that fucking shit that I wrote about how awesome pain, self-inflicted pain feels? Well, it never happens, and it wasn't awesome at all. Because now he's, like you said, he's the elder statesman, and he doesn't really, doesn't really embrace that old shit. Yeah. Well, you know, people are allowed to change, though. That's the thing, you know? But the thing is with Rollins, it's like, he's changed, but in this way where he's still almost like afraid to have real human interactions or something like that. I don't know. It's just like sad in some ways. Yeah, I guess that shit doesn't age well, because I definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, you know, there's like, I feel like with all his claims for like introspection, there is very little introspection going on in some ways, you know. That's just like, you know, my two cents. So how far are you, in, you have this? I just literally book. just started reading it, the new. Oh, yeah, there's the bookmark. Yeah. I got picked this. It's exciting to look at this. Yeah. You've got this. Grim detail, like the latest, what I think is the latest Rollins, uh, you know entry into his library of books yeah um we were just commenting earlier how it's like easy to not know when his stuff comes out yeah because i i periodically you know i always look at the every now and then i'll go to the website you know and and see what's up you know maybe everything's really inexpensive on there which i think is cool like you can get cds on there for like like five five bucks bucks yeah it's crazy you know how much do you think they cost to print they're free. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to make digital, co- I mean, I used to run the label, you know, it's very inexpensive to make yeah. discs, you know, which vinyl on the other hand, yes, it's expensive. That's why it costs money when you go buy like an LP. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But CDs are like throwaway, man. That's the thing. So they're still, but five bucks is, is very inexpensive. So yeah. there's no, hardly any margin on that stuff, you know? Yeah. I know it's, it- making comics is the same way I mean there's the big pictures the fact that you gotta you have to go to festivals and you have to rent tables and you have to uh, the stores take half your half of your product but the actual product 
can end up being cheap, you know? A comic, if I print a 100-page book, it can end up being a dollar twenty-five a book. Mm -hmm. So when I sell them on um, my website and there's a big markup, a lot of that is to... A lot of it is so I'm getting paid for my work and making it, and a lot of it is that I can... Um, uh, a lot of it is that when I sell it to the store, I have to pay for shipping, and they take 50% of it. But the actual, yeah, the actual thing is, if I see you and you're a friend, and I give you like a I give you a free comic, or I give you a comic for half price or something, it's it's not that it's not impossible to do that. Nonetheless, I appreciate the gift you gave me with all those books. Oh yeah, man, absolutely. You gotta read Raw Power now. Yeah, you, I, I'm I'm getting through that pile of stuff you sent me. Right? Mm. Yeah, I just kind of cherry picked the ones that I wanted to get to first, you know. Yeah, I realized it's, I've been on your show twice or three times, and I never like went out of my way to make sure you had like a hand a big pile of my shit. And then it's becoming, you know, yeah, it's be, I've been burning it at both ends for the last few years. Like since I quit Cosmic, or since Cosmic went under, that was like a big working at Cosmic was a big. Um, catalyst for me doing work in a lot of ways mark was i mean it's a little thing but just mark saying like hey man like go ahead you can do the uh you can do do the dry erase board and advertise the store and having people not come in screaming and saying what's that piece of shit out there <laughs> it was like it was a little bit like getting affirmation on the internet yeah so that's when i first started doing you know mark said hey you can go do a do the sign and i do like my, it's when i first started doing my characters kind of as wide as they are tall yeah just become my thing i really like doing big wide characters with little heads that kind of came through working there <laughs> and that gave me a lot of confidence i was like oh cool i can do this fast stuff which is funny and people dig it but anyways i got out of there and that place went under in 2011 yeah it's been a while now yeah Right, yeah, right around then, I was working on ROM when the place went under, and I published it, and then that really started the ball rolling, and like at this point, I do like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just doing comics every time you see me, and I'm not teaching, and I'm not doing a podcast, I'm not sleeping, I'm usually trying to do comics. Cool. Just real quick, we were talking about Artist Speedwagon earlier, yeah. that Nine Lives record. Yeah. The song to check out on that record is, uh, is Back on the Road Again. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that a hit? No. Yeah. Not at all. But it's, it's, you'll, it'll change your mind about Auto Speedwagon. Uh, that just came to me. Yeah, yeah. About like stuff that's yeah, like yeah. What, what you gotta do to, you know, you gotta, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do to get out, get by, you know, and making high infidelity was them doing what they gotta do. Right, right. It's like, have you ever any, you have had any opportunities to like sell out and change no, your sound? No, one, no one really cares like, <laughs> as far as like, uh, you know, on a mass appeal level for any of the things I do really. I wonder yeah. what kind of opportunity that would be. Somebody asked me the other day if I'd ever work for Marvel Comics or if I hate them too much. And yeah, he was like, you seem to have like a mixed relationship with them because huh. I do, I like, you know, I, they're a lot, so much of my subject matter. Uh, they were what I read when I was a little kid and now I'm kind of, you know, an adult influenced by my by my uh, Marvel Comics childhood infused childhood but my me and my friend were talking about it about how if uh, I ever got hired there like all the creators I've made fun of would get lined up to take a shit on my desk <laughs> <laughs> you gotta run through the gauntlet and get beat up by everybody <laughs> but so what do you got coming up you have like some stuff uh, happening like uh, just give us a rundown of like the oh. whole all the up upcoming stuff for you well, well the thing I'll be, oh okay so I got um, the Brooklyn um, 
used to be the Brooklyn Graphics Fest. Now it's the Comic Book Art Brooklyn Festival. Uh, I I secured interviewing, doing a panel with Raymond Pettibone. Wow. And uh, I've known him since 1998. So I we were just talking online the other day. I haven't seen him for a year. He did the cover for Suspect Device 4. And I asked him if he would, if we wanted to do something together. And he's talked to my classes before. So I was like, would you want to do a panel? I can interview you. And uh, it would be like, you know, the class thing on a bigger scale. So I don't know what to expect from him. I mean, he's really, he's always been really uh, kind to me, but he has a funny relationship with his public. So like the other day, like I put on Facebook, I'm like, hey, you guys have any suggestions for questions that we could ask him? And a few people wrote some kind of, some of them were half-hearted, some of them were of genuine interest, but he just got, they were like, oh, why don't you ask him, blah, 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 why don't you ask him? He just went in, and he just named everybody by name and told them all to go fucking suck his dick. So he, who knows which, like, um, what kind of mood he's going to be in. Yeah. But I just want to get him up there and talk to him about, I already know what I'm going to ask him, because he said things to me over the years about, there's things I know about him from how he cuts his brushes to how he draws hair to how he put you know his how his theory of cross hatching that uh i'd love to just ask him about it from yeah, the public technical stuff and then i'd also like to ask him like his feelings on different creators so i want to go have a slideshow where i show like somebody like cat who you mentioned before and fletcher hanks and uh, you know everybody you know jack kirby and see what he has this milton kniff and then other people you wouldn't normally associate him with, like Frank King. I would love to hear Frank King did Gasoline Alley, and he has a really spindly line. And I'd love to hear what Pettibone thinks about him. Like, he obviously there's a affinity between him and um, all kinds of comic creators you could name. But other people who are real masters, like I know he loves Harriman, who did Crazy Cat. He's done Crazy Cat-influenced art. Mm -hmm. He's done Gumby-influenced art. You yeah, know? yeah, Gumby was in a lot of his later later work. Yeah. And to me, that's him embracing the cartoony style, when, of course, he's more known for like a film noir style. Yeah. So anyways, come to that. That's November 9th. Uh, look up Comic Art Brooklyn or Cab. And uh, November 9th, which I think is Sunday, it's a two-day festival, and it'll be 5 o'clock on that date. Uh, and then what I'm trying to get done for Cab is, believe it or not, those of you who have read Theth or Seth, it's, I really intended it to be sort of half of a story. And I'm doing a comic within the comic. The character in Seth is reading this comic, mm -hmm. and I ended up taking that. I just couldn't fit it into this 80-page book. Uh, I'm doing that now. I'm almost done. I think it's, it's somewhere between 40 and 60 pages. And it's basically this comic that I did, which is called Mr. Incompleto, number 69. And it's based on an old um, Tom, Mark Grunewald-ridden, Ron Wilson-drawn thing team-up comic with the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. The original ones yeah. with, like, you know, which is a crazy story. So it's... Um, those old 70s comics often are really weird. So this one is about this character who was frozen and suspended animation for a thousand years. And his origin is he gained telekinetic powers because something went wrong and it's like being buried alive. He was kept awake. His brain was awake while his body was in suspended animation. Oh, so he wow. saw all this time pass. And he says... I went insane three times, and the third time it awakened my telekinetic ability. And then he managed to get free, and then it's almost the year 3000. 
And what he's trying to do in the comic is go back to save his younger self, this destiny of pain and insanity and isolation. And I'm reading this comic that I would have probably skimmed through as a kid and not understood, and I'm I'm rewriting it now, but in my own version. So that's the story which I have Seth reading instead of Rom. Okay. Inside, like I have him reading like three or four comics, and one is Mister Incompleto, and one is Sergeant Hard, and one is Rom. And now I'm um, decided to go with the Mister Incompleto story, and Mister Incompleto is actually a stand-in for the thing. So I'm I'm working like a dog trying to finish that. It's really fun. If you go on my, if you go to my um, Instagram, you can see a bunch of progress shots. And then beyond that, my big goal is to do finish the all time comics line, which I'm editing, and also I'm doing a collaboration with Mark Burt. Um, and that should see light of day in a few months. And I'm doing another, I might have a book called Bloggers, which is another collaboration with me and Pat Alicio, who's practically my number one collaborator. And uh, that's just going to be a collection of short, funny strips where somebody blogs at the end of the punchline is, it's like, you know, Papa Smurf gets trapped in a giant burrito and ends up, you know, being eaten by Yosemite Sam and Yosemite Sam blogs about it. It's just an excuse to do a crazy one pager. And at the end of it, it somehow ties in blogging because I think the word blogging is really funny. It's a funny word. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, it's another one of those baby talk words. Yeah. Like everything on the Internet, all the Internet language, Google, you know, Twitter. Interesting. Yeah. You know. It's all like, I took a selfie. You know, it's all weird baby talk. You're right. I, I, I knew there was something that didn't sit right with me about all I'm this going stuff. to tweet now. Yeah. It's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. And blog. So what else, man? That's a That's lot. That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> the Mark Burt book, I didn't mention that much. He's a fucking great artist. And uh, he lives in, I think, Alabama. And he contacted me and asked if I had any scripts lying around. And I'm like, yeah, I'm real busy. And so I threw him a script that was kind of um, started. I, I was supposed to do a piece that was like a uh, t Tijuana Bible, like one of those uh -huh. old porn comics. And I ended up doing this porn comic that's a metaphor for Jack Kirby being screwed over by Marvel, where this like sexy version of the Red Skull, who's like a nine-foot woman with like <laughs> like um, Make Mine Marvel around a swastika tattooed to her chest, <laughs> has this full-on graphic sex with Jack Kirby, you know, with him like a half a heart on, you know, <laughs> screaming against his will. And it's while they're screening the Avengers movie in front of a bunch of corporate heads and she's explaining how now I stopped trying to take over the world by force now I formed over the real forces that control the you know con this global corporate you know conglomerate that really runs the world and he took it and he drew this amazing full painted 12 page comic based on my script and now we're doing another one which is in a similar vein and I just love the guy to death uh, luckily my Monday night class at the Y didn't run the semester so I put aside Mondays to do all the I got to ink in all the lettering and I just have been so busy with all my other shit I haven't had time to do it so I'm in the midst of the next four weeks I'm doing two pages every Monday until it's done it's just it shouldn't take that much time but it does just to write the script over to, to put the script into and print into the con into his pages they sent me wow. so I got yeah it's like an it's a huge there's a huge bunch of work and few other things i've probably forgotten about but that's probably about all i can get my arms around right now damn busy guy 
Well, thanks for coming by tonight, man. Yeah, this was really fun. Yeah, it was a great time as usual. You're gonna let me gonna get let me uh, take some of the Slayer albums out of your yeah, library. Man, I'll give you uh, you know a thumb drive or something. I'll I have you know I'll give you the entire catalog. The All right, catalog. cool. Yeah, yeah. grab a thumb drive. Well, I got my iPod with me. We could probably, if you have like one of those doohickeys that goes into it, we could just like, figure it out. Yeah, because it's iPods. Yeah. That's the best way of doing it, then. Yeah. All right, man. All right, everybody. Take care. See you next time. Mm-hmm.